You're listening to the Eyes on Washington podcast, Holland and Knight's overarching public policy and regulation podcast series. Our public policy and regulation group has an ideal combination of lawyers and lobbyists with a comprehensive understanding of the federal policy and regulatory process. This series will shine a light on the shifting dynamics of governmental entities and the ensuing changes in economic or political policies, laws, and regulations that can have a critical impact on the health and future of your business. Hi, this is Jim Davis with Holland Knight. Thanks for joining us for this podcast. With me today are Vanessa Shera and my law partner, Francisco Sanchez, and we'll be talking about clean power opportunities and challenges. Vanessa is Vice President of Trade and International Competitiveness at the American Clean Power Association. She has been a leader in Washington for many years in the trade community, including more recently as Vice President for Legal Affairs and Trade Investment at the National Foreign Trade Council. And before that, a very successful lawyer in private practice with Holland Knight in Miami and Washington, D.C. Francisco Sanchez, also joining us, uh, is a member of Holland Knight. He is a former high-ranking Obama administration official in the Department of Congress. He was the Undersecretary of Commerce for Trade. He also served in the Department of Transportation under President Clinton and is a graduate of the uh, Kennedy School in Harvard. So thanks for joining me today. We're going to be talking about the Americans Job Plan uh, proposed by President Biden. And this podcast is going to be in two sections. Our first will be on opportunities, and the second section will be on challenges. The American Job Plan, which many of us are familiar with by now, is the boldest initiative of President Biden uh, beyond getting control of the COVID situation and vaccination. It is his plan to keep a campaign promise to invest in American infrastructure for the sake of competitiveness both at home and abroad. Also, his commitment to restore high-wage jobs, particularly labor jobs, in distressed parts of the country uh, by building high-end, long-overdue infrastructure. And thirdly, in many ways, most importantly, to advance his commitment to meaningfully tackle climate change and to not just restore infrastructure, but to modernize it with respect to clean energy and renewables. So these will be the topics we'll be discussing today. The American Jobs Plan is being negotiated as we uh, talk about now, and it's unclear what the magnitude is going to be, but clearly the ingredients I cited are going to be essential to a bill that is passed in Congress and ultimately signed by uh, President Biden. So let me go ahead and turn it over uh, to Vanessa. Hi there, thanks, Jim. So um, I am uh, the Vice President for Trade and International Competitiveness at American Clean Power Association, which is a new trade association. So ACP, as we call it, was created a few weeks before President Biden was inaugurated. Um, And it was created to create a trade association that would work towards the same climate goals as the administration, approaching issues of clean energy from across the range of technologies. So we represent wind, solar, storage, and transmission companies. We champion policies that will transform the United States power grid, aiming to a low-cost, reliable, renewable power system for all Americans. And the key concerns of our members are policies which support that clean energy deployment at a utility scale level. So we are talking about really large projects that will serve relatively significant utilities and communities. 
I thought I would cover uh, three topics that Jim touched on in his introduction. So first of all, the question of is clean energy infrastructure, which is an interesting discussion we're having across Washington. Secondly, I'm gonna talk about domestic supply side incentives in manufacturing in the US. And the third uh, issue I'll touch on is workers and workforce concerns, because I think that's very important in the debate. So first of all, what is infrastructure and does it include uh, clean power? I would answer unequivocally yes. It, uh, when I think of infrastructure, I think of a range of clean energy options to serve American energy needs. And that to me has to, that has to be infrastructure. And in my mind, looking across American, the American economy, that it, those, those clean energy solutions are as important to our communities and our workers as bridges, roads, and ports. The reality is that Americans, the America's electricity grid is aging. And like many of our other infrastructure programs, it is 50 years old. And that is an old age for infrastructure. And with that aging grid comes challenges. Um, and I think we've started to see some of those challenges in some of the critical failures that we've witnessed um, most recently in Texas. The problem is that you have to build for the 21st century and you have to invest in modern transmission infrastructure um, in order to provide reliable, safe, cost-effective power. And again, because the system is older, we're already behind the curve on infrastructure for, for energy generally and for clean energy particularly. So that's sort of the first part of our platform is that we believe that clean energy is infrastructure and should be included in any infrastructure legislative solutions. And the second issue um, to talk about is what does it mean to increase the domestic footprint for clean energy? So people often think about uh, taking the US economy and making everything here. And the reality is that's a very tall order. We have obviously seen a lot of our clean energy technologies move to Asia, and I'm not gonna hide the ball here. Um, we, we know that many of those solar and wind capacities have moved to uh, China, particularly in Asia. And so I often get asked, well, why don't we just adopt some of the Chinese solutions and do, you know, why don't we learn from people who've been really effective at building out these, these sort of manufacturing supply chains? And I think the simple answer is we're not China. And because we're not China, we don't want to engage in economic policies, which frankly are entirely inconsistent with our values and with market principles. Those uh, types of, of, of economic levers that the Chinese government has used include heavy state subsidization, uh, frankly, uh, theft uh, and copying of intellectual property and trade secrets, um, predatory pricing behavior in third country markets, many uh, uh, other things, but this, these are all economic tools that we would not want to engage in necessarily because as I said, they're inconsistent with how the American economy and the American value system is built. So then the next question I get asked is, well, how, how is the United States supposed to respond to that? Um, and our, at ACP, we talk about this a lot. We think the US agenda should focus on incentivizing industry, but allowing market forces to work so that US industry can do what US industry does best, which is innovate and be nimble in its responses. The American uh, technological growth is, it clearly shows that we are great innovators and we are very good at finding solutions to problems uh, even when those problems seem very difficult. And I think we can all agree that in the clean energy space, we have a lot of innovating that we still have to do. But the overall goals need to be that we're not going to mi mimic Chinese behavior, 
um, but we need to protect the critical technologies that we developed. And I think uh, there have been problems with that type of protection in the past. We need to be better at protecting what we innovate, how, how we innovate. So on the legislative side, when we look at sort of supply, what we call supply side incentives, what does that include? And for clean energy, that includes a range of basically tax driven credits to incentivize expansion of existing capacity and incentivize the building of new 21st century manufacturing capacity in the solar, wind, and battery space. That has to be balanced with awareness that you can invite too much government interference and too much bureaucracy into what industry needs to do to be nimble, like I said before. So um, in, in our mind, an example of that would be burdensome domestic content requirements that in some ways can hobble industry from building quickly, but obviously there's a concern that we have enough of a US manufacturing footprint. So how are those balanced? And that is a really important discussion to have, how you balance those things. Lastly, and not least, is workforce concerns. So we know that the Biden administration is very focused on a worker-centered policy, both in trade and manufacturing. How are we contributing to that discussion? And I have a great answer in the form of a clean energy labor supply report that we just, we commissioned. It just went live a week ago, and you can find a link to that um, in the podcast information. This is a great report to explain in great detail how um, current clean energy employment and unionization rates reveal that American workers are in good paying clean energy jobs right now, but more importantly, there's a potential for a large job growth in the sector, particularly if we're trying to meet these very ambitious renewable goals of 50 to 70% of electricity generated from renewables by 2030. This 2030 date you'll hear a lot about from the Biden administration. And our study does an economic projection where it shows that we're talking half a million new jobs could be created in some very important sectors, including manufacturing um, and including uh, engineering, particularly in the wind tower area, there's a lot of need for engineers. So these are very good jobs. Many of them involve union jobs and we are very committed to making sure that as our members build out their clean energy capacity, that they are providing good, you know, sort of steady jobs for Americans, particularly Americans who may be moving out of other sectors that are contracting in energy space. So those are those are sort of the main points I wanted to make. I'm going to turn it back to Jim and uh, Francisco. Francisco, I'm going to turn it over to you to offer some comments on how the Biden administration uh, is approaching this or in your judgment should be approaching it. Uh, thank you, Jim. It's a pleasure to be with you and Vanessa. I think it might be helpful um, before I talk about how Biden is approaching this is to really talk about um, some of the dividing lines, if you will, politically on the infrastructure plans that are out there, President Biden's, as well as some that are floating around in Congress. Uh, if you had to net out uh, two of the biggest questions um, on what an infrastructure package will look like uh, in its final form, uh, you have to start with uh, how uh, policymakers and politicians are defining infrastructure. Um, Vanessa did a great job of outlining um, a more uh, broadened view of what infrastructure looks like uh, from what it has traditionally been, uh, including clean power. Um, uh, she mentioned worker-centered uh, investments and 
to that extent under the Biden plan and some of the more progressive democratic plans, um, you see uh, uh, things called human infrastructure that include child and elder care. Um, but the dividing line on, on, on the definition then is, is infrastructure, should it include all of these things uh, that we, we've just mentioned, or should it be focused on what we have traditionally called infrastructure, specifically things like bridges, roads, and ports? The second big issue um, is how do you pay for this? And uh, the, the Biden plan, as well as the more progressive Democratic plans, uh, call for tax increases. Um, the more progressive Democratic uh, plan calls for um, new taxes uh, totaling as much as about 2.5 trillion. On the, on the other side, uh, you have Republicans and some conservative Democrats um, who, number one, define infrastructure in, in more traditional terms uh, and do not want to pay for any of this um, with a tax increase. So as we go forward and as, we, as the Biden uh, administration goes forward and trying to get something passed, um, he's getting challenged from both the, the left and the right. Um, the, the right saying not gonna increase taxes and your plan that is in excess of $2 trillion is, is too much. Um, and then on the left, you have uh, progressive Democrats who are saying, uh, well, if we don't increase taxes and, and get some of this human capital, focus on clean power, many of the things that uh, Vanessa mentioned, um, then we're not going to be in as well. So where do things stand? Well, the Biden administration first approached uh, this trying to seek a bipartisan, bipartisan solution, meeting with Republicans. Um, that did not play out so well. Um, and more recently, and perhaps more optimistically, a bipartisan group of uh, senators uh, have come up with their own plan that's um, costing, a, a, I think, a little over a, a trillion dollars. Um, and there's <coughs> true bipartisan support, 10, 10 Democrats, 10 Republican senators that are uh, moving this forward. Um, that looks to me like uh, the best possibility of, of moving this forward. The challenge there uh, may well come uh, from President Biden's own party, who still want to see investments in a broader definition of infrastructure. Uh, President Biden and, and the administration are supporting the idea of getting some of those things, if not all of them, uh, in a subsequent package under reconciliation. Um, but a lot of these Democrats are not clear that that can actually happen. They're uh, somewhat suspicious, uh, somewhat uh, concerned, um, and they want assurances that uh, if they support this bipartisan bill or something very close to it, um, that they'll get support from some of their more conservative uh, Democratic colleagues. So the challenge for, for President Biden uh, will be uh, to um, help uh, the progressive uh, Democratic wing um, but feel confident that a reconciliation bill will follow uh, this first infrastructure bill, that a lot of the broader infrastructure initiatives that they are advocating 
uh, will be there, that they will be funded with uh, tax increases. Um, this is not gonna be uh, an easy um, chore, an easy assignment for the president, um, but I believe it's the best chance he has at moving forward with both uh, an infrastructure package that uh, could very well be uh, with strong bipartisan support and then sub a subsequent reconciliation bill that includes uh, new um, and I would say very important um, human infrastructure uh, and climate change uh, initiatives. So I think, uh, thank you, Francisco. We have time for maybe a, a question, maybe two. And Vanessa, you mentioned the American Clean Power Clean Energy Labor Supply Report, which you all have invested a lot of effort in. It's very specific. Can you elaborate a little bit on the potential for significant high wage job creation, labor in particular, if the Congress gets it right and truly invests in renewables and clean power in this infrastructure bill? Sure. So um, the reality is there's sort of two answers to that question. One is today's jobs and one is tomorrow's jobs. So in terms of the jobs that are available right now, particularly in the wind turbine manufacturing sector, we have great opportunities um, and they're good jobs. Um, on the solar side, they tend to be primarily uh, some in the module uh, manufacturer, but largely in deployment. So building the solar fields and then uh, doing the construction work on those. But there's some really exciting stuff that's gonna come online. So within the next two to five years, I'm predicting that we will actually start making offshore towers in the United States. We don't currently make them here, we import them. But they are uh, quite impressive. If you've ever seen an offshore tower, it's an order of magnitude larger than some of the land-based towers. And the added complication is they're in a marine environment, which requires them to be serviced by mariners. And there are a lot of great, uh, really, really high-skilled jobs that relate to servicing those turbines offshore uh, in an admittedly difficult environment, uh, but very important jobs, uh, similar to the kind of jobs where people work in the off offshore petroleum industry, where you need highly specialized workers and um, very well compensated. Um, and the other thing I would say is I think in battery storage and in solar, we're gonna see new technological innovations. The pace of innovation in those industries is really dramatic. And as those innovations come online, that's gonna produce new manufacturing opportunities with very high skilled jobs um, and well-paying jobs in those sectors as well. So a lot of potential, particularly on the, on the growth side. Thanks, Vanessa. Uh, I think we've got about a minute or so left. Francisco, any closing comments you'd like to add or Vanessa? Uh, just to say, first, it's been a pleasure to be with you uh, and Vanessa on this podcast. Um, there's a, a lot of exciting opportunities um, here in, in the infrastructure packages that are being discussed. And um, I know a lot of our colleagues are monitoring um, this bill in particular, and uh, we're going to keep doing this because I think there's going to be a, a lot of good opportunities for our clients uh, going forward. Thank you for listening to the Eyes on Washington podcast, brought to you by Holland and Knight's Public Policy and Regulation Group. For more information on our Public Policy and Regulation Group, please visit hklaw.com slash PPR.